Okay, so when we hear Brother JP reading that first reading, it is for the Jews. This is their history, the bringing of Moses, the word of God. And what is the key focus on what we just heard? Moses said this is the bread of life. This is the food from heaven. So in one sense, the Eucharist is going to be the way that brings the Jews to Christ. Now, what about our Protestant brethren that can read John 6, where our Lord just doesn't say once, you know, hey, this is some good food here. No, John 6 goes on and on. He goes repeatedly that this is the food of eternal life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, but not those in the, de in the desert of your fathers that died. This is the living bread that will give eternal life. So it'll be the Eucharist that brings the Protestants to Jesus. These are two huge groups of people that let's pray for them because the truth of the Eucharist is right there. And we pray that that enlightenment, but our hearts in this world, like the gospel just said, are like this rocky ground. There's no soil there to be deep-rooted. Many Catholics, 25% believe in the real presence? Really? That baffles me. Because we don't, as the gospel says, have that rich, deep soil with which God to plant the seed for it to germinate and bear fruit. It's not that God's not planting the seed. It's we have to have that heart that's open to receive his word so that that will bear fruit. Now, it's interesting because many believe that Mark is the first gospel. I remember arguing with my professor in seminary. It was one of the few non-priest professors I had in seminary that said, Mark was the first gospel that was ever written. And I said, well, the tradition of St. Augustine is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew was the first. Now, regardless of technically what it is, Matthew comes first in the order of tradition. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in that order. Why? because Matthew serves as a natural bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, all right? Matthew's audience is Jewish. Matthew's focus is Jewish. So it would make sense that Matthew be the first because you're coming from the Old Testament, you're trying to bring bridge into the New Testament. It would be make perfect sense that Matthew's the way to start. He was focused on the Jews. Now, it was written to convince the Jews of somebody who Matthew was coming from a Hebrew background that, listen, Jesus is the Messiah. I'm telling you, I'm a Jew, and I'm telling you, Jesus is the Messiah. So one of the ways Matthew did this is comparing Jesus with Moses. And I dug up the seminary notes yesterday. I, did, I went online. Catholic Answers has some good things. I did really went back to that connection of Moses and Jesus. We don't talk about this ever. This is the way to bring the Jews to Christ, to show them, to evangelize them, not this false ecumenism that, oh, you know, we'll, we'll accept this from your truth and, or from your faith, and maybe you can accept uh, this from ours. No, it's bringing them to Christ. And the way we do that is showing them that Jesus is the new Moses. 
They're comparable. In fact, he's the greater Moses. Matthew uses this typology to show that Jesus is a greater Moses. Now, why? The parallels between them start right in the beginning, the infancy narrative, right? Matthew talks about Jesus as an infant. Now, what's going on? Both experience an attempt by a wicked ruler to take their life. Jesus was, um, Herod was trying to take the lives of the little children, right? Into preserving his own kingdom. He didn't want another king. And Herod slaughtered these infants. And Pharaoh attempted to kill the Hebrew children. It said the girls may live, but kill the boys. That's why Moses ended up in a basket and floated down the Nile. Now, Moses then grows up. He had to flee Pharaoh again, and he went to Midian out in the desert. Why? Because he killed that man. He got into a fight, and he killed that man. This was Exodus 2.11. Now, after a time of being in the desert, he and his wives returned to Egypt. This is the same thing as Jesus fleeing Herod, and he also was in Egypt, and he went from Egypt to deliver his people, just like Moses. Moses was in Egypt to deliver his people. Jesus was in Egypt. Now, Joseph returned with Mary and Jesus and returned to Israel from which they came, just like Moses. He was in Egypt, and he left to Midian to run away from Pharaoh, but he returned to his home in Egypt to free his people. Jesus was from Israel. He fled. He returned. Joseph and Mary returned him to then go back to Israel to free his people. What a beautiful connection. And this is powerful because Moses would deliver the Israelites from bondage to Pharaoh, employing what? Signs and miracles. This is how Moses got the attention of the people, just like Jesus. People don't realize this. Jesus delivered the people from the power, though, of something greater than Pharaoh. Actually, Satan. How did he do that? With miraculous signs and miracles. This is emphasized, we can see, by Jesus' healings and his exorcisms. But let's look at this connection. Do you know Moses' first miracle? Let's connect everything to the Eucharist. What was Moses' very first miracle? It was the first plague because he was trying to tell Pharaoh, don't harden your heart. The God of Israel is saying, let my people go. Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. Moses came in and says, you're going to pay the price. What was the very first plague? Moses turned the water of the Nile into blood. Just like the Eucharist, it is turned into blood. He did it to show Pharaoh in Exodus 7.20. So Moses' first great miracle was turning water into blood. Now, what did Jesus do at Cana? He turned the water then into wine, but then he turned the wine into blood. It all comes back to the Eucharist. This is why we're Catholic. This is why we do not compromise. And let's pray for our bishops, that they will stand for the truth of the Eucharist and not compromise it. Now, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain before bringing the law down to the Israelites. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights 
before teaching a new law of God on the mountain. We're talking about Matthew here. What's the new law? The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are Matthew chapter 5. But if you back up a chapter, Matthew chapter 4, what did Jesus do before going up to the mountain to give the Beatitudes? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Just like Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before going up to Sinai to get the law, Jesus in Matthew 4 fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Then in Matthew chapter 5 went up to the mountain to proclaim the new law of the Beatitudes. This is incredible. This is who Jesus is. He's the new Moses, a greater Moses. And this is how we have to evangelize to the Jews and to the Protestants through the Eucharist. Now, let's keep going here because it gets even deeper. Just as Moses went up Sinai and received the Ten Commandments, Jesus ascended up a mountain and brought us, this as I said, the new Beatitudes. People always say there's eight Beatitudes. Actually, if you read Matthew, there's nine. We say there's eight because eight is addressed to the people. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But the ninth one is addressed to the apostles. Every one of the first eight, Jesus says, blessed are those people who da-da-da-da-da. In the ninth one, he looks at the apostles and says, blessed are you if you are persecuted for my name. And if you read it, it could actually be split into two. So if you want to look at the big picture, I learned this in seminary, there's really 10 Beatitudes that ties to the 10 commandments. This is our faith. But even here, this is so powerful. Um, well, you know what? You could even say, what about the transfiguration? What happens at the transfiguration? Jesus goes up the mountain and who's there? Who does he converse with? Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Now at the transfiguration, what happens? Jesus meets Moses, but now Jesus is the new Moses because his face is enlightened. His face is shining like Moses's did on the mountain. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, his face shined. Now Jesus goes up to the mountain and the transfiguration meets Moses. Whose face is shining? Jesus. This is Jesus' fulfillment. He's now going to lead the Exodus like Moses led out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus is now going to lead the Exodus out of this slavery of sin. Something much greater. Now, a couple more. The baptism. So Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. What is that significance? All right. What did the Israelites have to do to get to the promised land? They had to go through the Jordan. To get to the promised land, the Israelites had to go through the Jordan River. Here Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River. Now Jesus is leading us to the new promised land. Freedom. So Jesus fulfills this mosaic typology by leading us to the new promised land. He opened the doors to heaven. This is it. Now, this fulfills a type of baptism because the Jews at the Red Sea, we just heard about yesterday in the first reading. Why did we go from the Red Sea to this? Because in the Red Sea, it was a form of baptism. 
the Jews were going through the water. This new baptism is seen in Christ, and that means the sacraments. So what is the whole message here? That God bless our Jewish and Protestant brothers and sisters. That we pray that the gospel says that your heart, that you have soil to receive the word like a seed. And the sower is going to throw that seed onto the ground. Have the, 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 the soil in your heart to receive it so it can grow. Here it is. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God. And the sacraments, because what are we talking about here? Baptism and communion. Two things that we embrace as Catholics. The sacraments, baptism in the crossing of the Red Sea, and now Jesus in the Jordan. And the Eucharist in the bread that came down from heaven that Brother JP just read, that the Jews woke up in the morning in the desert and said, hey, what is this? And Moses says, this is the bread from heaven. What do you think he's talking about? It's a precursor to the Eucharist. This is what's going on. So Jesus's church, I'm summing up now. Jesus's church in Matthew is not only the universal church, Catholic, which means universal, and sacrament of salvation for all, baptism and communion. It's a fulfillment of Judaism. The church in Matthew is a fulfillment of Judaism. So we don't, as Catholics, run around in false ecumenism and say, okay, well, you guys have your faith, we have ours. They're different, but we just have to learn to get along and be different. Yes, we have to get along, but our goal is to bring them to see the fulfillment in the Eucharist. That is our goal. It is a fulfillment of Judaism and should be explained to them. Jesus is the new Moses. And he does it through the bread of life. Now it's actually his body and blood. So Moses provided this miraculous bread, this bread from heaven, this manna in the wilderness. What does Jesus do in the wilderness? The multiplication of the loaves. He feeds the people in the wilderness for the journey. That is what Moses did that JP just, brother JP just read. Moses gives them the food in the wilderness for their journey. This is why Father Gerald, our Marian brother, always says, food for the journey. He says that every mass, the food for the journey. Well, you see it in the Israelites in the manna with Moses, and you see it with Jesus out in the multiplication of the loaves. Since the disciples say, send these people home. He says, it's a long journey. Feed them. And who does he say to feed them? The apostles, which means Jesus didn't feed them. Jesus fed them with himself, of course, but he gave it through the apostles to distribute to the people. That's your priests. Jesus willed that the church distribute him to the people. Otherwise, Jesus would have did it himself. He did do it all himself but he utilizes the church. This is why we must defend the Eucharist. Again, pray for our bishops that they do that. Now, the five books of Moses, the five first books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch, this is interesting because Jesus had five barley loaves when he multiplied. Wonder, ever wonder why five? Oh, our faith is so rich. Five has a meaning. 
It wasn't just random. He had five barley loaves. Why? Because he's transforming the Mosaic law, the first five books of the Pentateuch and the Torah. Jesus is now showing them something much greater and much more nourishing. So he takes these five barley loaves and turns it into the Eucharist. This is our faith. The Eucharist is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, in the Passover meal. What is the Passover meal? Passover meal, the lamb, the sacrifice lamb had to be eaten or the sacrifice was invalid. Our sacrifice of the mass is to be eaten. That is Holy Communion. The Jews had unleavened bread because they quickly raced out of Egypt. We have unleavened bread in commemoration and our tie to that origin. Powerful stuff. Now, Christ is the sacrifice lamb. Not some lamb symbolic in the Jewish sacrifice, but the lamb, the real lamb. So, to finish, God the Father fed the Israelites with the manna in the desert. Now he sends his son, the true bread of life. This bread is his flesh and blood offered in sacrifice for us on the altar. And you know, I've been talking about praying for the Jews to see this, that, that Jesus is the Moses, and for the Protestants to see that the bread of life of John 6 and what we just read today is the Eucharist. Don't forget to pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters. 75% don't believe this? 75% don't believe in the real presence. We got to do something about that. We must evangelize. We must get out. God bless. If the church isn't going to do it, as the laity rise up to do it. But the church has to do it. Pray for her that the priests will shout the truth of the Eucharist from the rooftops, that the bishops will defend the real presence by not letting it be defamed or de, uh, 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 irreverently received. This is our faith. This is what it's about. You know, Jesus doesn't tell the people that it's symbolic. He doesn't say that. He tells them that they have to eat his body and blood or they have no life. And Brother JP is going to read from the Diary of St. Faustina, number 442, where you're going to see what St. Faustina has to say about this. It all ties together. As I've been saying, this is the beauty of our Catholic faith, and this is why we are Catholic. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily 
for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.